I'm sure I don't need to remind you that the institution of marriage is in trouble in the United States of America. And when we read statistics that tell us that those who call themselves evangelical Christians have a similar divorce rate as the rest of the population, which makes no such claim, we realize that something is terribly amiss. But God's Word has a solution for this, as it does for all other human problems, if we will learn what God has to say and apply it to our lives and especially to our marriages. Returning today to our study through First Peter, we recall that in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the Apostle Peter has instructions for the wives. Now, in verse 7, he addresses husbands. The instructions for wives were primarily two in nature, though there were many additional facets of understanding to be woven into them, but primarily two duties given to the wives. Number one, to maintain a submissive spirit toward your husband. And number two, to develop gentle and quiet attitudes toward your husband and toward all others. Well, likewise, there are two primary duties of husbands that are given to us. They are, number one, live with your wife in an understanding way, and number two, honor your wife. And so we see in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so we see in this text, number one, the husband's duties, and number two, the husband's warning First of all, the husband's duties. And we have to make note of the fact that this needs to be understood in its contextual relationship. In other words, there are words at the beginning of the text that link what Peter says now to husbands with what he has said previously to wives, and indeed, even linking it back into chapter 2 and what he has said in other relationships as well. And so in the contextual relationship, we see first and indication of a marriage relationship link, and secondly, perhaps a submission relationship link, which we shall examine in a moment. But first of all, the marriage relationship. Husbands. Husbands. Having previously addressed wives in verses 1 through 6, Peter now addresses husbands. Having previously addressed those ones in the marriage relationship, who are instructed by God to submit, Peter now addresses the other part of the marriage relationship, the husband, the one to whom the wives are instructed to submit. And so first addressing the submissees, he now addresses the authority to which they are to submit. Now that in itself is noteworthy because it is unlike the previous instructions that Peter has given. In chapter 2, you remember, he started out by talking about citizens and their relationship to government. And there, the requirement to submit was very similar, that citizens are to submit to civil government. That is God's requirement. That is God's command. But Peter does not address civil authorities. He only addresses the citizens, the ones who are required to submit. We remember that in verses 18 and following, he addresses slaves in that early 
first century context where there still was a great deal of slavery. And he addresses slaves and likewise tells slaves that it is God's will that they submit to their masters. And yet he does not address the masters of the slaves. Elsewhere in Scripture, they are addressed. They are addressed in Ephesians and in Colossians, where Paul, by the Spirit of God, addresses Christian masters as well as servants or slaves. But in the case of Peter, he only addresses the ones who are required to submit in that relationship and does not address the other party. But now, in the marriage relationship, he addresses both. First, the wives and their requirement to submit, but then the husbands, those who have authority in this relationship. And in doing this, Peter is elevating marriage, I think, above even the other two relationships. In marriage, it is vitally important that both wives and husbands understand their God-given roles and take those roles and and fulfill those roles in obedience to God. Indeed, I think he is telling us that though this is not the first relationship he addresses, this is the most important one. It is the foundational relationship in society, the marriage relationship. And therefore, husbands have instructions just as much as do the wives. And so these instructions that we are looking at today are addressed to all who are husbands. If you have taken a wife, this is for you. If you are married, this is for you. If you have entered into the bonds of marriage, then these are God's instructions for you. Husbands, listen up. God has some things that he wants you to understand. But beyond the marriage relationship, I think we have to at least take a look at what we might call the submission relationship, because we notice that Peter uses that connecting word, likewise. Husbands, likewise. And then goes on with his instructions. And we remember when he used that same word in verse 1 in relationship to the wife, it had reference to the concept of submission. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. In other words, this requirement of submission carries through. Like citizens are to be submissive to civil government, chapter 2, verse 13, like slaves or employees are to be submissive to your masters, chapter 2, verse 18 and following, So wives are to be submissive to your husbands. That likewise carried over the concept of submission. And the question is, now using that same word in relationship to husbands, how does that relate to the concept of submission? Husbands, likewise, there is a connection here to something that I have been saying previously. And the question is, is this a reference to mutual submission. In Ephesians 5.21 that we read earlier, we read submitting to one another in the fear of God. And after that general injunction to submission by all believers to one another, he then goes on to talk about the marriage relationship. Wives, be submissive to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. And so is Peter doing something similar by the use of the word likewise is the question. 
when he says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them according to knowledge. Well, it may be that, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but it does not necessarily have to be a reference to submission. It may simply be telling us that the general topic that he introduced in chapter 2 continues. This is not a new subject. This is not a new topic. This is not an entirely different area of instruction. We are still talking about relationships. Citizen-government relationships, chapter 2, 13. Servant-master relationships, chapter 2, verse 18. Husband-wife relationships, chapter 3, verse 1. Still talking about husband-wife relationships, chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands likewise. That's all that the word likewise must mean, though it is possible that it also has reference to submission. But if so, we must understand that this submission differs a great deal in detail to the submission required of wives to their husbands, as, as likewise that reference to mutual submission, Ephesians 5.21, cannot be used to cancel out everything that the Bible says about the husband-wife relationship and the requirement of God that wives submit themselves unto their husbands. Some have tried to use that text that way. As if a general text, the specific application of which is not crystal clear, though I think a good study of the context will bring it into clarity, but as if a general statement like that, be submissive one to another in the fear of God, somehow cancels out everything that the Bible says about wives being submissive to your husbands. That is not honest interpretation. That's not honest exegesis. That's not an honorable way to handle the Word of God. Because it is obvious that when it comes to the submission of the wives to the husbands, that they are required to submit to their husband's authority and to their husband's leadership. It could never be properly said that the Bible teaches that husbands are to submit to their wives' authority to their wives' leadership, that would certainly be turning Scripture on its head. But this could be said, and probably should be said, there is an area of submission involved in both, namely that both husband and wife are required to submit to Christ's commands. It is an act of submission for both husband as well as wife. The husband, like the wife, is required to submit to God. The husband, like the wife, is required to submit to marriage as designed by God, and the instructions that are given to us by God. The husband, like the wife, is required to submit to his God-given role in marriage, as defined by God. And therefore, in a sense, it could accurately be said that the husband is supposed to submit to the needs of his wife as defined and described by God. So we could say that the submission that makes wives Meek and quiet makes husbands kind and attentive. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so what then are the requirements, the duties that God enjoins upon husbands? And they are two. And we could say, number one, Husbands are to fulfill the duty of knowledgeable cohabitation. And number two, husbands are to fulfill the duty of appropriate honor. Knowledgeable 
cohabitation, and appropriate honor. Husbands dwell with them. Husbands live with them, your wives. Live with your wives. If that's all the Bible had to say on this subject, we would recognize that God expects husbands and wives to live together in harmony, with companionship. This is supposed to be a living together, a dwelling together situation. It is not supposed to be two individuals with their headquarters in the same house, but going their separate ways, living separate lives. Husbands, live with your wives, says Peter. Many of us are aware of that sad negative example in the life of John Wesley, who was a great man of God in so many ways, very committed to the Lord, no question about it. But he had a failed marriage, and the reason was because when he married a wife, he didn't change anything in his life and ministry, and he had been involved in itinerant ministry out on the road for weeks and months at a time all of his unmarried life. And he took a wife, and nothing changed. He deposited his wife in his house, and away he went, away for weeks and months at a time with no consideration for his wife, failing to dwell with his wife. No wonder his marriage failed. He did not understand and apply this area of God's instructions. Live with your wives. Dwell with them with understanding. Live with them in an understanding way. Some translations say with consideration, which is part of it, but that doesn't do full justice to the word that Peter uses. Because consideration doesn't necessarily require a great deal of information, of understanding, of knowledge. But the Greek word here is gnosis. It is knowledge. And though he doesn't give us a great deal of explanation as to what this knowledge entails, he nevertheless tells husbands that we are to live with our wives according to knowledge, with an understanding manner. Whatever explanation he requires, I think, is found in the next concept, as to the weaker vessel. Or as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, might be a more literal translation. In fact, several commentators agreed that in this particular text, the New American Standard comes closest to representing the original Greek than probably any of the other translations. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. As with a weaker vessel, vessel means a jar, a container. Your wife is a vessel. She is a jar. She's a container made by God. There are several references in the Bible to God being the potter and we being the clay and God making vessels out of that clay. And it's the same idea here. Your wife is a vessel made by God. Furthermore, husband, you are a vessel also made by God. And the contrast here is not between strong husband and weak wife. The contrast is between two weak vessels, but one of them weaker in some way than the other. We're all clay jars made by God. And we need to recognize our weaknesses and our dependence upon God. 
But the question, of course, is what is the weakness that Peter has in mind when he describes the woman as being the weaker vessel? Well, it undoubtedly has to do with the physical strength. There may be some other things which I will suggest that go along with it, but I think without question it must be referring to physical strength. This word vessel is used in a number of different ways in the Bible, but sometimes it is used as a word for the body, the body of man. As, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4, where Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, that each of us should know how to control our own bodies when it comes to this sexual drive, the sexuality that God created for us. We've got to control our vessel. We've got to discipline our bodies. And with that in mind, Peter says the wife is the weaker vessel. She's the weaker body. She's the weaker one physically, normally speaking. And surely there's not going to be any argument about that. Most husbands can overcome their wives physically, though, of course, there are exceptions now and then. When we started very unwisely allowing women into the military in order to satisfy the feminist movement in our country, we had to, what, change the standards for the women. They couldn't, they couldn't have the same physical requirements as the men, couldn't have the same number of push-ups, couldn't do the same number of pull-ups. Everything had to be lowered. Why? Because on the average, women are weaker physically. Surely nobody would deny that. Just the fact of what happened in our military is proof positive that that is so. Women are often rightfully more afraid of being attacked and take more caution and more appropriate steps to defend themselves, recognizing how much easier it is for them to be overpowered by a stronger man. Most men that I know don't live with that same kind of fear. This is one of the things that we need to understand about our wives. She's a woman. She has a different way of thinking, a different way of responding, a different way of of relating to this world. And that's one of those ways. She is a woman. She is the weaker vessel physically. And so she is more conscious of her vulnerability physically and her need to be protected from what can and far too often does happen as men overpower women in this sin-cursed world. She's the weaker vessel, vessel physically. It would not be entirely out of line to suggest that perhaps Peter may also be thinking about the emotional area. There's no question that, as a general rule, women are more sensitive, more easily hurt, more emotional in their feelings than men. And that's a strength in some areas, but that's a weakness in other areas. Women are more easily led by their feelings. Now, that's a strength in many ways, and I hope we husbands learn to appreciate how wonderful that is, that women are so sensitive, so caring, so tender. That's what makes a wife a woman. That's what makes the woman the queen of the home. That's, that's what makes the woman's tender touch so beautiful and so, so appreciated and wonderful, but in certain areas that also can be a liability, and particularly when decisions need to be made in regard to spiritual truth, for example. You recall that Paul in First Timothy 
says of that original sin in the Garden of Eden that the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Nothing similar of the man. But the woman apparently was more easily led astray by her feelings. Maybe that's why God has given leadership and authority to the husbands in the home and leadership and authority to men in the church. That should not be lightly set aside. Whatever the reasons, God has good reasons for it. We don't need to know the reasons necessarily just to obey his word. But this may be the reason that women for all of their unique femininity and all of their beauty and sensitivity, which we love and cherish, we need to realize that they can be more easily misled because they are more feeling-oriented. And therefore, in that respect, we might say the wife is the weaker vessel. And it may be that Peter also has in mind that she is the weaker relationally, that is, taking into account the instructions he's just given, that wives are instructed by God to submit to their husbands. In other words, in the husband-wife relationship, she submits herself to being under her husband's authority. She does that willingly, voluntarily. If she's a Christian wife, she does knowing that this is what God requires. But that does place her at certain disadvantages. It does place her in a position where she is more easily exploited by her husband if he's not a godly man. And it may simply be that Peter is talking about this voluntary submission to the authority of her husband, placing her in a weaker position, in a more vulnerable position in the roles which God has assigned to marriage. And so husbands recognize that, appreciate the fact that she has voluntarily done this, and don't exploit it, don't take advantage of it, don't use that to her disadvantage. Recognize that she has done this as unto the Lord. Now you honor her for that as unto the Lord as well. So in all of this, She is a woman, and that's more emphasized in the Greek than it is in most translations. She is the feminine one. Or as the New American Standard puts it, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. She is a woman, and women and men are different. Designed by God to be different. That's not wrong, that's not bad. And that's not something that we ignore without liability. That is the way things are, the way God created them. To deny it, to to pretend that it's not so, is going to cause all kinds of havoc in society, as it already is in American society today. Women are not men. They are women. Men are not women. They are men. Women are uniquely designed by God, a beautiful, feminine, unique creature designed perfectly to complement the man. It's not good that man shall be alone, said God. I will make a helper comparable to him. I will make a helper that can complement him. But God didn't make another man. It wasn't Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve. No way that a man can complement another man in that closest of all relationships. It takes a woman, and they're different, they're unique, they're feminine, they're beautiful. 
We must appreciate their unique qualities and characteristics as God has given to them. We must support them in their uniqueness. We, we need to learn to benefit, and we do benefit, we husbands and children and all members of society benefit from that unique femininity which God created in the woman. And we need to understand these things. Husbands, live with your wives as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. And so what is the required knowledge? Back to that again. Live with your wife according to knowledge. Live with your wife in an understanding way. What, therefore, in what we have learned now, would be the required knowledge that husbands must have if they're going to live in a God-honoring way with their wives? Well, we must have knowledge of a woman's strengths and weaknesses, and we've just talked about some, but there are others. We need to know what makes a woman strong and what are her areas of vulnerability if we're going to dwell with them according to knowledge. Secondly, we should understand our wife's desires and goals and frustrations. Our wives don't think like we do. Thank God. But since they don't think like we do, we're going to have to work hard at understanding how they think if we're going to live with them in an understanding way. And beyond everything else, the knowledge that is required is a knowledge of God's design, God's purpose, God's instructions for marriage. No man can be a good husband unless he knows and applies the instructions that God has given in His Word for marriage. We have to be knowledgeable students of God's Word if we are going to be good husbands. If we are going to fulfill our responsibility to dwell with our wives in an understanding way, we will have to be men of the Word Constantly taking the word in, learning it, studying it, learning more about it, and constantly applying it to our lives in every area, and particularly in the area of marriage. And we're not only going to have to be men of the word, we're going to have to be men of our wives. That is, we're going to have to study our wives, get to know our wives, fellowship with our wives, understand our wives. Say, how do you do that? How do you get to know the word? You take it in, you study it, you spend time with it. That's how you get to know the Word. How do you get to know the wife? You take her in, you you talk to her, you spend time with her, you study her. And the only limit to this, of course, is we cannot sin. We cannot love our wives in such a way that we give in to them if they want to sin. Any more than a wife submits herself to her husband if he requires her to sin, that's where you draw the line. No. And husbands cannot cater to their wives, even out of the greatest love, if doing so would require them to sin or would give their wives permission to sin. That, of course, is where we must always draw the line. I remember many years ago in a marriage situation, counseling situation, a husband told me, well, my problem is I just love my wife too much. And consequently, he was giving in, caving in to things that should not have been allowed. That's not loving your wife too much. You might think it is. But that is maudlin sentimentality as much as it's not loving your children, failing to discipline and train them. I just love my children too much to correct them. No, you don't. That's not, that's not biblical love. That's not godly love. That's not Christ-like love. That's sentimentality. 
And there's a reason. A reason why we are to live with them this way and a reason why we are to honor them. That's the next command. The first one is to cohabit with them in a knowledgeable way. And the second command is to honor them. Giving honor. Grant her honor. That's the required action. How do you grant her honor? By your words and by your deeds. How do you honor God? By your words and by your deeds. How do you honor anyone? By your words and by your deeds. How do you honor your wife? By your words. Commend her publicly and privately. Praise her publicly and privately. When's the last time, husband, that you praised your wife in private? When's the last time that you praised your wife in public? Honor her with your words and honor her with your deeds. Back up your words with your deeds. Show your love, your respect, your appreciation by what you do, by the way you set your priorities, by the way you allocate your time so that you are spending appropriate time with her. And wives, don't be selfish wives and demand more of your husband than they can appropriately give and still do the other duties that God has given to them. Because the wife is not the only priority, but she is a high priority, second really only to God himself. And so demonstrate that in the way you allocate your time. Demonstrate that in the way you spend your money. You honor your wife, you love her, you appreciate her, but she hasn't had a new dress in 15 years. And you've bought all kinds of things for yourself. I don't believe that you love her. I don't believe that you appreciate her. I don't believe that you honor her. And worse, she doesn't either. Give her honor. Give her honor. Now, women, do you still think you've got the harder role in marriage? It might seem like it at first, but I think the men's role is more challenging and more difficult. Give her honor. And the reason for that is because you are fellow heirs of the grace of life. That's why you give her honor. Give her honor as being heirs together of the grace of life. The grace that consists in life or the grace that has the bestowal of life as its object or different ways this phrase could be translated. Uh, A few, at least one commentator that I read, takes this as a reference to your life together, your married life upon the earth. But I don't think that's the best understanding. I think this is to be understood as salvation. And Peter is assuming that he's talking to husbands with saved wives. In the case of the wives, he dealt with both those who had Christian husbands and unsaved husbands and gave instructions that applied to both. But in this case, it appears that he has Christian wives in mind. And husbands, give honor to your wife as one who shares with you God's grace unto salvation. Or, if she's not yet saved, one that you believe is going to receive the grace of God and salvation. One that you are praying for to that end. One that you believe that God in His mercy is going to make an object of His grace. That He's going to bestow His grace upon her. You share together in God's grace, which gives life. And that means, therefore, that wives are equal in spiritual privilege and eternal value. 
God may have assigned to you the leading role, the leadership role in marriage, but that doesn't make you any better than your wife. That doesn't make you more important in the eyes of God than your wife. That doesn't make you any more valuable in society or in eternity than your wife. This is absolute equality with God. As heirs together, the very same same grace has come to you both. Both of you trust in the same Savior for salvation. Christ has shed His blood equally for both of you. Both of you pray to the same God in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of you serve the same Master. You are heirs together of the grace of life, working out that grace upon earth and looking forward to the day when you shall be with the Lord forever in heaven. Both of you entertain the same heavenly hope. When it comes to your relationship with God, there is no difference. And once again, we learn there's no contradiction between the authority roles which God assigns and the essential equality which God also indicates to us. When the Bible tells us that in Christ there's no bond or free, uh, Jew or Gentile, male or female, again, that one general broad statement doesn't cancel out everything else that the Bible tells us about the assignment of roles by God. What nonsense, what an utterly ridiculous way to misinterpret the word of God. But husbands, your wives stand equal with you before the throne of God in heaven. And your wives receive the same love and mercy and grace poured out upon them upon the earth that you receive. God gives no more to you than he does to them. God favors you no, in no greater way than he favors them. You're heirs together of the grace of life. And therefore equal in spiritual privilege and equal in eternal value. And that brings us therefore secondly and more quickly to the husband's warning. We saw first of all the husband's duties and now we see the husband's warning. Because there's a warning attached to this if you don't obey. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Evidently, domestic relationships have profound impact upon our relationship with God. We need to take that more seriously. That your prayers be not hindered. Is Peter talking about the mutual prayers of husband and wife? Is he saying so that when you pray together, your combined prayers, your, your prayer partnership, the answers to your prayers will not be hindered? Well, certainly that's a possibility and that would certainly be true. When the husband-wife relationship is strained, you really cannot pray together, can you? You do not pray together, do you? In fact, that may be a pretty good barometer of your spiritual and marital condition. Are you praying together? You who? Are you listening? Husbands? Are you praying with your wives? Why not? Well, because she stopped right there. 
You're the leader. You're the spiritual leader in the home. It's your responsibility to initiate prayer time with your wife and to carry it through and to develop the kind of relationship so that you can do this unhindered. Husbands, I say again, are you praying with your wife? Why not? If you're not, that's an indicator something is wrong. Something is wrong in your relationship with your wife. Something is wrong in your relationship with God. The Bible says so. To deny it is to deny the Word of God. We've all heard that the family that prays together stays together. I think there's a lot of truth in that. We've got to pray together as husband and wife. We've got to pray together as families if we're going to fulfill God's purpose in marriage and God's purpose for the home. However, it is more likely that Peter is talking about the husband's prayers rather than the prayers of both. Though there's good application in the first interpretation. But uh, the grammar would seem to indicate that he's talking about the prayers of the husbands. The whole verse is addressed to husbands. And when he says that your prayers may not be hindered, that is in the plural, so it could be husband-wife, your, but it's far more likely that he's talking about the husbands who who are hearing this. They are in the plural. There are many husbands. He's talking about husbands, plural, and relationship to your wives, plural. And so he is saying, saying husbands, plural, likewise dwell with them, your wives, plural, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers, plural, may not be hindered. Now, it's more likely that he's talking about that, though again, the the, the structure is just... Uh, ambiguous enough that it could be understood either way. And that may be deliberate. We maybe ought to take it both ways. But this much is clear. The husband's prayers are going to be hindered if he doesn't obey the instructions of God. Obeying these instructions will give you more access to God in prayer. That will be a reward for your loving care of your wife. And if you fail to do this, your hindered prayers will be the liability for refusing to learn and apply what God says are the husband's responsibilities to his wife. That your prayers be not hindered. It's in the passive. Be hindered by who? Be hindered by God. If God won't hear your prayers, what are you going to do in regard to prayer? In fact, what are you going to do in regard to life if God won't hear your prayers? The Bible tells us elsewhere that fractured human relationships in general hinder our relations with God. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 22, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, And whoever says to his brother, Reka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 
a bad relationship with another brother will hinder your prayers with God. Or later in the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh Uh-oh. An unforgiving spirit toward others is going to hinder God's forgiveness toward you. And marriage is the closest relationship of all. An unforgiving spirit toward your wife is going to hinder your prayers with God. Your unwillingness to forgive your wife is going to block God's willingness to forgive you. You're having unconfessed wrongs with your wife and and, uh, fractured relationships with your wife are, are going to hinder your ability to worship God. So that your prayers not be hindered. There's no spiritual good that ever comes to us without prayer. No spiritual good without prayer. And no effective prayer without loving your wife and understanding her and living with her in a godly way. And men who neglect this will not be heard by God. And men who abuse their authority in the marriage relationship will not be heard by God. Man, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life in private? How's your prayer life with your wife? And there are some lessons, therefore, that we better take away from this passage. Lesson number one is that a good marriage is priority priority number one in life. If you're married, then you better make your marriage your number one priority. We can get so involved in other things. Work to the neglect of our wives. Hobbies to the neglect of our wives. Politics to the neglect of our wives. Studying, learning to the neglect of our wives. But a good marriage is priority number one. God is telling us that. To invest in a good marriage and whatever it takes to build a good marriage, and that's going to take time, is God's will. That's serving God. That's what John Wesley apparently didn't understand. He thought he had to be out preaching to serve God. He neglected to develop a good relationship with his wife. That was God's service for him once he said, I do. Now, not his only service, but he needed to make some adjustments in his preaching schedule in order to develop a good relationship with his wife because to fail to do that fails to please God. It fails to serve God. This is what God has told husbands he wants us to do. A good marriage is priority number one. So our second lesson has to do with answering the question, how do we develop a good marriage? If that's priority number one, and evidently it is, then what do we need to do? Well, I would say, number one, examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. 
Professing Christ is not the same as possessing Christ. Being a church member is not the same as being a Christian. Attending church is not necessarily the same thing as knowing the Lord. If you haven't been born again, you're not going to have the nature and the indwelling Holy Spirit that is necessary in order to carry out God's instructions. In fact, you won't even have the desire, and you won't submit to His requirement. So if you're having difficulty in this area, if you are having difficulty in this area, if you have difficulty with marriage, you better give some very serious thought to the question, am I God's child? I'm not saying you're not, but I'm saying don't just skip over that lightly. And then number two, examine your practices to see if they reflect God's word. You've learned some things today. Maybe they were reminders, maybe they were new, but you've learned some things today. Now, do you, does your practices, does your life, do your priorities, does your relationship with your wife look anything like this? Be honest. Examine your life in the light of God's word. Become an expert in God's design for marriage. If you want to know what to study in the word of God, start here. The Bible's a big book and there are a lot of things in there and all of it's good. But if you're a husband, you better be an expert in knowing what God says about marriage. I would say that would be your first area of intense study. Get busy. And beyond that, become an expert in understanding your wife. And that's going to take spending some time with her. So you need to begin to converse with your wife. We husbands sometimes are the strong, silent type. And sometimes the wives are the conversational, chatty type. And so sometimes the wife does all the talking. And in the early days of the honeymoon, the husband even listens. And then after that... And we smile, but that's the beginning of the breakdown. Husbands, you better keep on listening, and you better learn to talk. You better learn to ask questions. You better learn to converse with your wives. Everything depends on it. You better date your wife. Get her out of the home and sit her down and talk to her. Sometimes it works better that way. But you better have times to talk, designated times. I'd recommend as a beginning that you appoint times for daily family devotions. If you have children in the home, by all means, include the family. But if you have children in the home, then you need to have another time, just husband and wife. Sometimes husbands can avoid developing a relationship with their wife by having the children there and all of their spiritual leadership in the home and all of their instructions in the home. Everything has to do with the children while they are ignoring their relationship with the wife who's sitting right there, but the children's presence allows them to ignore the wife. The couple that prays together stays together. Sometimes people come in with their marriage problems. Do you have a time when you pray together? Do you have a time when you talk together? No. Well, that's your assignment. Start there. Try that for a while. Then we'll see what problems are still remain. That will solve a lot of them. 
Why is that so hard? Why is that so difficult? Pride, stubbornness, sin. I say it again. According to the word of God, virtually everything is at stake in this. Your relationship with God, your ability to receive blessing from God, it's at stake in this. So you better pay attention. Priority number one. Which means we need to ask God for his help. Help, help, help. And he delights to help those who seek it from him. Shall we pray? Father, we bow in your presence. We acknowledge that you are sovereign. We acknowledge that we are sinful. We acknowledge that we have hearts that are in rebellion against you. We acknowledge your mercy and grace in Christ Jesus, who sacrificed himself upon the cross to pay the debt of our sins. We acknowledge, O Lord, that in Christ we are justified before your judgment bar. But we acknowledge, O Lord, that we still have sinful thought patterns, sinful selfishness, sinful stubbornness that needs to be dealt with. O Lord, help us. Show us mercy. Help us as we endeavor to be obedient to your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.